The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. So, how many of you would identify yourself as a Christian? Here, raise your hand. What about a disciple? Raise your hand. Okay, see, this is a place of discipleship. I like that everybody kept their hands up for the most part there. We live in this funny age where Christian has become almost our primary identity. No fault of anyone who dropped their hand just then, but the New Testament is clear when it talks about who we are in Christ. I think in the New Testament it refers to Christians three times, and it refers to disciple roughly 269 times. So the biblical definition of those that are trusting in Christ, those that are following Christ, is disciple. And so, today, and as you've, if you've been around redemption for any period of time, you've heard probably the, the phraseology that a disciple worships Christ, a disciple works for, um, walks with Christ, and a disciple works for Christ. Today, we're going to dig into some of the things that the Bible has to say about working for Christ. And so as we're in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, we consider just for some context here that the preceding verses to this text, Peter has just described believers from non-believers and describes that believers are trusting in Christ. They, 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 they pursue by the Spirit the will of God, while non-believers would pursue human passions, would pr- pursue passions of the flesh. And so in our text this morning, Peter is further reminding his readers that we should pursue holiness, that we should love one another, that we should serve one another. And so today, we're going to key in on the aspect of serving one another, working for Christ, and we're going to use this passage to walk through these elements of what Christ-centered work looks like. So serving one another and working for Christ is hard. I know it's hard for me. I don't think that you're much different from me and that you share the same fallen condition. But sometimes for me, I pursue pleasure over service. I pursue pleasure in recreation. I desire comfort, and service a lot of times is hard. Sometimes I'm hurting by my own sin to the point that I can't imagine going and serving somebody else. Or even worse, I'm hurting by the sins of others, and the idea of going to serve that person is just too much to bear. And so because I think we all struggle with this, I think that we need to look at the idea of working for Christ with a greater vision, one beyond just work, do. We need to look at it with clear instruction on what our service is to look like, and we need to look at service with lasting hope that comes with working for and through Christ. So like a soldier who believes in his cause, the Bible would say that he doesn't entangle himself in civilian pursuits, but he willfully and joyfully serves his master. There is a reason those of us who didn't serve in the military are inspired by those that did. Right? That type of service, that, that selfless service, that commitment to selflessness to a, a greater cause is compelling. It's compelling to the world. 
And so as we look at this text, I want you to think about this, that biblical disciples, that genuine disciples work for Christ. They work in a certain way, and the way that they work is radical to the world, and it elicits a gospel response. So let's read the text. Starting in verse 7, it says, Peter writes, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So a genuine disciple work, works for Christ. So prioritize your service urgently. We see here in this text that Peter's hearers are experiencing great hardship, right? Hardship that you and I experience on a daily basis. Hardship that you and I experience throughout our lives. And, and Peter's hearers are experiencing a unique hardship. I think Cade preached in 1 Peter and talked about some of the persecution that they were under. And so Peter knew that he needed something to motivate the hearers. He needed something to motivate the church. And what he used, and, and I think rightly so, Peter uses Christ's completion of work and his impending return to motivate the service. We see here in verse 7 at the start, it says, the end of all things is at hand. This informs the motivation for our service today. Christ has fulfilled everything that God has promised through the prophets. He has vindicated us his children once and for all, and will soon reinstate his perfect kingdom for eternity. He has won the war, but the battle for souls wages until his return. This should motivate us. And so I want you to think back right now to where I think most of you were around on September 11th, 2001. But just think right now, where, where, where were you? What what were your emotions during that time? What, what was your response? And I think everybody has a lot of clarity on that because it was that impactful. I know that I was in Mrs. Stanner's freshman journalism class and we listened to the radio and as soon as that class bell rang, me and a couple of buddies skipped school. Kids, don't do that. <laughs> we went to Kevin Bass's house around the street and we just were glued to the television watching as the second tower was hit and then both of them fell. And I remember just thinking, I didn't know the gravity of what was going on, but I knew that there was a response needed. In my case, it might have been a sinful response by skipping class, but there were others that responded much more nobly to this. They quit their jobs. They went to serve the country. There was a rallying cry of service and these people had things going on in their lives, but they knew the stakes, and they were responding to that. There was, emotion, there was a deep emotional response. 
And I think similarly, this is our response in Christ when we know the, the, the stakes that are at hand. And even though we're walking through hardships, we're walking through times of inconvenience, we've been attacked by the enemy. But this isn't a battle that hasn't already been won for us. The war has been won, but we must fight the battle until the victor returns to fully reestablish his reign. The time to fight is now. But all-out service to the church, quite frankly, seems to be a bit of a foreign concept in this day, in this age. We live in a Western culture of consumerism where even in the church, we view it as what we are going to get out of it, what spiritual goods and services this building has to offer versus this building down the street, what they would have to offer for me. And to be sure, there's an element of alignment and philosophy and doctrine, and, and those are things that would be wise to check out when we're, when we're looking at churches, for instance. But a church is not there to serve you alone. It is to serve you. But the church needs you to serve it. And this is how God has ordained. In, he's made clear to us in his word and in his sovereignty, he's ordained the church for these purposes. That you would grow in holiness. That he would use your service to grow in holiness. That he would use this body working together for those on the outside that would say something is radically different about this group of people. They're actually using their gifts and talents not to lift up and glorify themselves, but to build up one another and to glorify something greater than them. And so, real quick, just to add a little bit more biblical underpinning to that thought, flip with me to Ephesians chapter 4. This is one that you're probably familiar with, but Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to read with you verses 11 through 12. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11, says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. You see clearly here, the job of the professionals is not to do the work of the ministry. It's for you and me to do the work of the ministry. G guys like Blair, who is your pastor, they're, to, they're there to equip and to shepherd and to build you up and to encourage you, and we together are the ones that are doing the work of the ministry. It's not a job for the professionals. It's a job for us, Christian. It's a job for the disciples of Christ. And just as a military officer would give direction, and then those that serve below him, his subordinates would actually execute on that, there's a lot of similarities. The ones that are really doing the, the heavy lifting, the real labor for the Lord, it seems, are, are you and I, one another in the pews. The time is now to serve. The shots have been fired. And let us all take up arms to serve him together today. So because the disciple works for Christ and the time is now to serve, we must serve one another genuinely. 
And I want to make two main, there's really two ideas here that I, want to, that I want to hit on. So the first is who we're to serve, and the second is how we're to serve. Okay, so starting with who. We're to serve one another. The instruction directed in this entire letter and pretty much the entire New Testament for that matter is to the local church, is to one another. A committed group of believers known by each other and known by the world around as committed to one another. We see this plainly in the text as three times Peter says he instructs them to serve one another. We see in verse 8, keep loving one another. Show hospitality to one another. As each has received a gift in verse 10, use it to serve one another. There is an element here of a commitment to one another, people that have sinned against you, that is supernatural about this service. There's an element here of God using this group of people to point to himself in an in evangelistic endeavor in our service to one another. The world says, what is going on with these folks? There is, there is something different about this. And God is using this to glorify himself, and he's using this to sanctify his people. So redemption, this is you, the people to your left and right, your covenant community. This is not a vague service to everyone, though I think this instruction is for us to everyone, right? Like we should love one another earnestly. We should love everyone earnestly, but specifically to these people, to you to those sitting to your right and to your left. Specific service to a definite known people. And this is why church membership is so valuable. It's so you know who you're committed to serving and vice versa. So you might say, yeah, this whole local church thing, but I'm a member of the universal church. You know, I'm in the sense that the big, you know, big C church, I'm I, I trust in Christ, and so I'm a member of his church, and, and that is true. But it would be like saying that a soldier in the army is, could only serve in a company or a battalion and not serve in the army, or vice versa, that he would only serve in the army and not be in a unit within that army. That doesn't happen. It's both and, right? Right? You're, you're a soldier in the army, and you serve within your battalion. And the company or the battalion has its own identity, too, within the overall army. It has, it, you know, it might have a flag or a mascot or some sort of mantra that it shares with a cohesive community within the overall. It's still on the same mission. It's still on the mission that it shares with the, the overall army, but they're doing a specific task within that and have a specific identity within that. And so at Redemption, you would be like serving in a company or battalion that has its own sub-identity within the greater, within the universal church, and that you would, even when you think about it with service teams, right? 
even below the company level or the battalion level, you would have a platoon of, say, 15 other guys and gals that you would be specifically serving with. And I think that we can make that connection with the hospitality team or with the facility team that you would have a subtask within the greater. And so I think it's time for us to direct our focus and energy and efforts on our primary commitment, which is one another within the church. That yes, we work hard unto the Lord when we're in our vocation, or we serve to God's glory in different service organizations or civic clubs, but we do not neglect the primary means that God has established to grow you spiritually and to glorify his name, which is the local church. This is where he means, God means to show the world Christ through your care for one another. And so the second point of, of, of this, um, the second sub point, I guess, is how. How do we go about serving each other? We know who we're to serve. Now, how do we do that? The world will see Christ through our genuine service to one another. In verse 8, we're instructed to love earnestly. To not just love under compulsion, but to love earnestly. And the root idea of earnest here is to be stretched, to be in tension. And in verse 9, we're instructed to serve without grumbling. We are to use God's gifts in salvation without resentment. That's ultimately what grumbling is. It's resentment. Grumbling sucks the joy and sincerity out of our service. And the world sees straight through that. We see straight through that, don't we? We've all experienced genuine service and care, right? Like, I, I'm just going to say a couple of, of words together and tell me if you know, if you've experienced genuine service or care. Whataburger, McDonald's, H-E-B, Walmart, Bucky's, every other gas station <laughs> across the world. Every one of these companies has a customer service department. Every one of these says they care for their customers. But there is a difference, there's a differentiator in these, in these companies that is a, and that differentiator is genuine care and genuine service. There's a culture of genuine service in these places. And we don't just see that, we feel that. And in the same way, the world sees through God's people. When God's people serve in a, in, in a disingenuous way, it is felt, it is known, and it doesn't have the same spiritual impact that God intends. And after all, this is the reason why we're serving, right? We're serving to pursue holiness. We're serving to point others to Christ but we must serve genuinely. And we've already established that service is hard, that genuine service is even harder. So I'm not sitting here telling you to just work harder at it and get it done. We take our disingenuous service to the Lord, the one that's already won the war. 
we confess the areas of our life that need his forgiveness. We don't just say, man, I wish it was better. I wish I really cared about these people. We cry out to God and say, Lord, give me a love for these people. Give me a service for these people that I don't have. I need you. And the Holy Spirit will empower that work. So biblical disciples prioritize service. They serve one another genuinely. And they steward the gifts that are received through Christ. Every Christian, if you have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, has received one or more spiritual gifts from the Lord. Every person. The Bible is clear on this. A, and a gift, a spiritual gift, is a talent or ability empowered by the Holy Spirit to be used in the ministry of the church. These are not natural abilities. Rather, they're spiritual capabilities. And we're not going to get in the weeds on specific gifts this morning, but the Bible has lists of these gifts. Uh, these lists are not comprehensive. They're examples of what a gift would be. But I'll just, just um, shout these out, and you can write them down um, to look at later. But Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10, and 1 Corinthians 12, verses 28 through 30. And like I said, those are lists that you can go back and, and look at, but these aren't comprehensive lists. These are, these are examples of spirit-empowered gifts. But looking at this text in, in verse 10, and this is beautiful to me. I mean, this, this really is encouraging. Verse 10 says, as each received a gift. This passage is encouraging because it makes clear to us that each one of us in Christ has received at least one or more Holy Spirit-empowered gifts. And not only that, we have a gift that the, that the church, that the body of Christ needs. You are needed. You have a gift. You have something to give to everyone in this room. And not only do you have something to give, you have something to give that no other person in this room can give. You are needed. And so with that in mind, how can we neglect that gift? If we believe that God is using his church to, to build up his people, then neglecting that gift would be like neglecting a medicine that only you have to save someone else's life. And we would neglect giving that medicine to that person that's dying because it's inconvenient? No way. I don't think anybody in here would do that. And I think that the reason that we can go about doing this, this mission faithfully and part of this motivation on how we're supposed to love each other, how we're supposed to serve each other, who we're to serve, is when we know it, it, we're empowered to do this, when we know that we have something to give that no one else does. For the life of this living church body who needs your gift, and we look at illustrations about the body, right? We have 
you have the hand and you have the eye and you have the nose and these are individual parts that are all different but that are all needed. And in this social media age, I think it's so easy to feel inadequate, right? You're separated from real relationship and you're looking on the internet at snapshots of you know, the most beautiful pictures of that day or of that month or year, and you start feeling inadequate yourself, like you don't have anything to offer, like you don't have anything to give others. Everybody else has it all figured out. But by the authority of God's word, I'm here to tell you that in Christ, you have a gift. You have a gift to preserve the lives of your brothers and sisters, the life of this church body, do not believe the lies of this world. You in Christ are valued beyond measure and have something like a snowflake that is not different, that is different than any other thing. It would be like or I would just say, having a weapon to put down cover fire for your brother and sister that's making a charge somewhere. He needs you, she needs you for their protection. When you're serving on the hospitality team, you are welcoming those into the church. You're welcoming one another in. You're needed in that role. When you're serving in children's, you're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with our kids. You're needed in that role. And the list goes on. Genuine disciples work for Christ. So we must do our work in every way vertically. We must serve in every way vertically. And we see this clear in this last verse. That whoever would speak would not just speak their own words, but would speak the oracles of God. Whoever would serve would not serve on their own strength, but would serve in God's strength. Everything is done by God, to God, for God's glory. We get to be a part of his mission. This is a privilege that you and I have. This is a, a blood-bought privilege. And so as we look in, in verse 11, we see also the uniqueness in the gifting, right? You see the one that speaks and the one that serves, but what you also see is an equality in this gifting. They're unique giftings, but they're equal giftings. These gifts are different, but they must not be for us. Rather, they're for God, so then we use them to serve vertically, we use them for the Lord. Vertical service equals equal service. In other words, there's not a position that's lifted higher than another. Blair stands up here on Sunday morning, and he is the, he's at the same level than whoever's holding the, the door right out there. Whoever's pouring the coffee, whoever is on their knees in the baby room chasing around toddlers. Our service before the Lord when it's vertical is equal service. There are many roles, there's many jobs, there's many gifts within the church. 
And similarly, right, we see this in the military too. There's many different jobs. And it's so easy for us in our fallen condition, I would say, that we would unrightly, that we would unwisely even glorify certain jobs over others. Like I know that, you know, what's real popular today is, is the, the special ops community, right? They're in the news, they're writing books, there's movies on them. And we would glorify the guys on the front lines that are pulling the trigger, the, the special ops, the infantry guys, like, oh man, they, they're, they're the ones that are really doing it. They're the ones that are really serving. But regardless of how talented that guy or gal is, how strong they are, how brave they are, without the comms guy in the back establishing communication, they're not going to last long. Without the log logistician that's coordinating crucial supplies, they're not going to survive long out on the front lines. Without the officer determining a, and leading a cohesive plan, a functional plan, they're going to be running into each other and they're not going to be effective. Without the medical team ready to save and, and care for them, they wouldn't last long. You, you get where I'm going with this, but in the fallen world where we would wrongly and, and mis misappropriate a certain level of glory and honor to some one position is not right. In, in the same way, brothers and sisters, in this church, we all do different jobs, and God has uniquely gifted you in a certain and sovereign way. He does not make mistakes. And so we serve in our varying ways, and we encourage one another in that. But however we serve, we, God has, in, in however ways God has unmistakably gifted us, we do it by his strength, we do it by his ways, we do it not roughly, but gently, godly, we do it purposefully for his glory. And so, I'd like to ask the band to come up, and I want to share a quote that I feel like so rightly captures how we are to serve as Christians. And so, while the band is coming up, I want to, I'm going to start reading this. This was a quote that I had heard from a... Um, uh, a, a Navy SEAL guy that is known for purposeful living, for service, for leadership. And he was asked what drives him to live on such purposeful mission. What drives him to live on this mission of focused work and service. And here was his response. He said, I served with guys that sacrificed their lives so that we could be here so that I could be here, so that we could have freedom, so that I could be here alive. And when you think about that, when you think about this gift, this gift that you've been given to come back to America and be free, to have a life and have liberty and be free for the pursuit of happiness, when you think about that gift, it's the most beautiful thing anyone could ever give you. It's been given to you, it's been given to me, 
and I will not squander that gift. And I will make every day count as I remember those guys that gave that gift to me. When I hear that, I think, man, this guy knows sacrifice. In a humanly sense, to be sure, but he knows the ultimate sacrifice. He, he saw it. He knew it. He felt it. He, kn- he knows it as a gift to him. And the reason he knows it is because he saw their suffering. He felt their blood on his hands. Their gift to him is a reality. But the self-sacrificers he's referring to, quite frankly, these were fallible men. Selfless, brave, yes, but fallible men. Their gift of freedom will ultimately expire. Their gift of the pursuit of happiness will eventually cease. The life that they have given to each one of us will eventually end. But there was one man who also paid the ultimate sacrifice. Yet this man was infallible in every way, perfect in every way, without sin, spotless, without blemish. And this man was Jesus Christ. And Jesus paid the ultimate price He died a gruesome death that he did not deserve. He bled real blood and cried out ghastly screams of agony in his death. But he did it out of an eternal love so that we could have freedom. So that we could have unending freedom from sin and death that will never expire He died not just for our happiness today, the pursuit of happiness today, but for joy everlasting. And he has given us new life, and that new life that he has given us starts right now. And that new life that he's given us continues for eternity. There is no end to the new life that we have in Christ. And when we know this to be true, just as the guy who said this quote knew the sacrifice of others to be so true in his life. But when we know Christ's sacrifice to be true, when we reflect on it, when we trust it, when we believe in Christ's real death, when we reflect on his victorious resurrection, we believe it like the guy that saw his buddies die in his arms. We will have a new vision, a growing vision on being a disciple that works for Christ. That motivates our work. We will respond to the call of service to work right now. We will serve one another genuinely. We will use the gifts bought by that blood that Christ spilled to serve that community that Christ's blood bought and paid for. And we will do it for God's glory because he earned it for us. So if you don't know this, this sacrifice, if you don't have this hope, I'd love to talk to you after the service. But if you do, let's go out and let's serve him. Let's serve one another in love and genuine love and care for each other. 
Let's stand and worship our risen Lord in light of these truths.